Good afternoon, friends. The people's evidence shows the Capitol and D.C. Metro Police killed five Americans on January 6th. Today's guest, January 27, 2022 Substack article begins like this. Over a year has passed since January 6, 2021, or as the mainstream media calls it, the deadly insurrection took place at the United States Capitol. Up until now, the most important but confusing questions have been, who killed who? How did it happen? Why did it happen? And we have the answers because their team has accumulated thousands of hours in forensic video analysis to back them up. The general public has become increasingly frustrated with the lack of transparency and fake investigations. The January 6th committee has proven themselves to be completely inept in revealing the truth. As a remedy for this, a team of independent journalists, Taylor Hansen, David Sumrall, and others have finally cracked the code behind what really took place on January 6, 2021. Be sure you've got a trash can handy before reading, as the truth behind January 6 will make you sick to your stomach. These guys chronicle the truth with facts and video documentation, despite the fact the government will not release the 14,000 hours of available security video. The fact five Americans died due to improper policing that day. Taylor Hansen is here to talk with us for the next hour about it. You may recall Taylor came on the show last year because he was within a few feet of Ashley Babbitt when she was murdered by a Capitol Police officer. And we wanted to get the known facts out at the time. Well, Taylor, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, my friend. Taylor Hansen, welcome back to the Rob Manus Show, sir. How are you? And uh, thank you very much for coming on. I am wonderful, and thanks for having me, Rob. Well, hey, Taylor, you know, thank you so much for writing uh, the article that you published on Substack on January 27th, uh, talking about the five deaths that really, in my opinion, after reading your article and studying the, what's been happening for a year and looking at all the evidence that, that not, not the authorities are putting out, but all the evidence that people are putting out uh, and, uh, and, uh, and seeing how you guys looked at it and analyzed it based purely on facts, no opinion or anything like that, I really just want to give my audience the opportunity to listen to you. Now, you came on the show uh, last year uh, because uh, I was watching your twit tweet thread live when you when you had the video of Miss Babbitt being shot. Uh, so I wanted to get the facts as we knew them out then. But you've, you've looked at more, uh, and you've got a team of independent journalists, as I said in my monologue, that have looked at a lot of these videos that have been collected by the American people and done some analysis. And really, it looks like five deaths on that day were really caused by inappropriate and improper policing by the Capitol Police and the Metro uh, PD, the DC Metro PD. Uh, so, so give the folks an overview of what your actions were that day real fast uh, in a minute or so, and then let's dive into each one of these deaths so you can tell the audience and we can show them some of the video clips uh, to frame up each one. Uh, what the heck happened to these American citizens who were protesting peacefully 
at the very beginning of all this. Yeah, I'd like to start by saying I've covered riots, you know, protests, anything you want to call them, whatever it is, countrywide for over a year and a half, two years now, at least prior to the January 6th incident. And, you know, in all my time in Portland and these other states where they're Molotoving police officers, I have never seen a police reaction that hard and that brutal in my entire life of, you know, reporting on the ground. And on January 6th, it started as a normal day. You know, we went to go see Trump speak. I actually came in town because I expected there to be Antifa violence because whenever, you know, Trump hosts a, a rally of any sort, Trump supporters, after it's finished, they kind of wander their separate ways and that's when they get attacked. So I was kind of there to cover that. And the next thing I knew, I had found myself following the first initial group um, that eventually got to the initial barriers. And those began getting pushed over and agitators began infiltrating in. And, you know, it escalated faster than I've ever seen anything before. You had people, you know, yelling, God bless America, you know, singing patriotic songs. And then it turned into just a bombardment of concussion grenades. And, you know, usually when there's concussion grenades or any crowd munition thrown, there's something called an unlawful assembly. And they have to announce it as an unlawful assembly because that is what gives them permission from the state or for from the federal government to use crowd munitions on the people. They have to at least give them a warning, but there was no warning. There was nothing of the sorts. It actually just all started as they began to throw concussion grenades deep into the crowd and almost started this effect as if it made people look like they were pushing the police line, but they were actually just trying to get away from the concussion grenades. That's, uh, you know, it, it that's something that I've known because I've studied the videos and uh, and looked at a lot of people's different takes on them and everything. But I don't really think that most of the American people understand exactly how the violence started. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, pe some people scream at me in disbelief and say I'm disgracing my uniform when I say, look, this was a riot. It wasn't some kind of insurrection. Uh, but we don't even know and haven't asked the question about what caused the riot. Now, the first American that you talk about uh, uh, that your team has looked at is a man named Benjamin Phillips, average-looking guy, you know. Uh, and I'm going to show a video clip that you have in your article, not necessarily specifically of his face and everything, but the situation that he was in that describes really, uh, in a few seconds, what you just said about grenades, uh, no unlawful assembly being declared, and those kind of things. Let's watch this. Now, Taylor, that video really encapsulates what you just said, uh, and it's just the facts. Uh, now, 
Now, Mr. Phillips was in close proximity to the flashbang grenade we saw go off. And you, and you notice you could hear there was no declaration of an unlawful assembly. Mm -mm. No, there wasn't any warning, actually. And, and that's what was most surprising, you know, about the situation on the ground at the moment when a riot was declared by them throwing munitions, which they legally have to, you know, declare it a riot. So technically it wasn't even a riot yet. And I mean, they started the riot. That's the best way to put it is the police quite literally started the riot by throwing concussion grenades into the unexpected crowd that, you know, people that were just singing, standing around, taking pictures and taking videos. And when I was on the ground that day, I mean, it was just confusing. There was, there was confusion in the air. And I remember mm -hmm. when that initial grenade hit, and everyone, you know, started yelling F you. It's like these people that all backed the blue, these people that came there to support their president, to support the police, especially. And, you know, they've been the most vocal uh, supporters of the police during the whole summer of love and BLM riots that the media never wants to talk about. And now, you know, they're quite literally showing their true colors to these American people. And, you know, it pissed people off. And it's going to make people mad when you're throwing grenades into a crowd that's being peaceful. And one of those grenades happened to hit Benjamin Phillips, it landed right next to him, and it caused him to collapse and essentially uh, have a heart attack. And they said in the medical examiner's report that he died of heart disease, which, you know, you don't just up and die of heart disease out of nowhere. They said the same thing about the second victim, Greason. Um, but they, they have no mention whatsoever of these concussion grenades that they legally were not allowed to throw that day. I mean, the ex-chief of Capitol Police actually came out and condemned what they did that day and said, you know, we were not authorized to be using these concussion grenades or any of these devices that can potentially cause harm to people. And from, you know, the first first few minutes that people were up there, they were standing around and people began to get shot with pepper balls. That's kind of what really started it. And then once that grenade was thrown, it just turned into a battle because nobody understood why the police were attacking them. Now, that location is on the west side of the Capitol. Mm -hmm where the preparations for the inauguration were being made. That's what the bleachers were, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and where is that in relation to the Western Tunnel that we're going to talk about here in a little bit when we get to the Miss Boylan's case? So the Western Tunnel is actually just right up uh, top of where the police were standing. The uh, inauguration tunnel hadn't been pushed up towards yet. Mm -hmm. Because, like I said, this is the initial clash, so they hadn't even actually established any area or anybody around that tunnel. The police actually were holding that tunnel. They were throwing grenades from that tunnel. They were shooting people from that tunnel and up above. Um, but and then as, you know, the crowd gets angrier and angrier and as they start throwing more munitions, the crowd begins to push up, especially as munitions are going off behind them. And that's what eventually establishes the area where Roseanne Boylan was beaten and killed. Now, in the last uh, few days, we've had uh, we've heard from uh, Brandon Strzok of uh, the walkaway movement, who has basically been abused and silenced for a year. Now, he was on the eastern side of the Capitol, and uh, there was no violence over there mm -hmm. from what was shown in the video that he, both he has taken and, and other videos that I've seen, and nobody was, was hurt over there. And as a matter of fact, people were being invited into the doors uh, mm -hmm. by remember it correctly and those kind of things so so the violence really uh, seems to uh, and correct me if I'm wrong is localized to this area uh, uh, e even though the, you know people had gone past the barricades and, and in some cases the police let them 
and invited mm -hmm. them past the barricades. There was no violence up to this point, correct? Yeah, up to this point, there was absolutely no violence. And you said it very well right there is on the east side, you had absolutely no violence whatsoever. You had crowds of people. The officers were literally letting them in the doors. They were escorting them in, giving them little mini tours. And this is where, you know, the whole tourist thing comes from is because they were allowed to go into that building and the cops walked them in and allowed them to look around. They weren't telling them to leave. And then on the west side, at the exact same time, you have people on the east side being led in by the police. And then the police are attacking people, getting a reaction on the entire different opposite side of the Capitol. So then that really kind of created this paradigm that confused a lot of people. And it made the event, the, the entire event seem as this, you know, this whole violent concoction that was mm -hmm. pre-planned is what the January 6th committee would like to say. But the only one that it seemed like it was pre-planned by was from the police that day. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very troubling, very troubling. Uh, I've always been puzzled uh, because I, I wasn't in the capital region on January 6th, uh, uh, although I could have been easily. I was a mm -hmm. Trump supporter and all that, but uh, I just chose, uh, uh, due to family events, uh, not to be in the area. Uh, it just puzzles me uh, and always has that that Americans that believe in the Declaration and the Constitution would would go uh, intentionally start uh, uh, to attack the capital of the United States on such an important day when they had to know it would disrupt it. Mm -hmm. It would disrupt the proceedings and the proceedings is what I wanted to happen. You know, I think everybody. Well, that's that what everyone wanted, wanted. and the that's proceedings you to make happen. a really good point, Colonel, yeah. is it, January 6th wasn't even about January 6th, yeah. but the media created it into something that it wasn't. January 6th, the sole purpose of it was, was to show up in numbers, show that Trump had the support and that we wanted them not to certify and then give it 10 days and so they, they can count the state votes. And that's all it was about. That's all these protesters wanted. And then yeah. when January 6th happened, they needed somebody, they needed a capital breach to happen. They needed people to go inside of the Capitol because then it sets up this entire narrative. And it doesn't matter if they confirm the votes. It doesn't matter if they even look at them because at this point, the narrative completely shifted from a stolen election to an insurrection is what they called it. And mm -hmm. you know, January 6th, the people that were there that day, they weren't there to stop the certification of the votes. They were there to show their support for their president and then it was, you know, completely hijacked by bad actors and agitators, and I'd argue the police, and it turned into something that it wasn't. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of other investigations by other journalism teams that are looking at those aspects of it. Uh, uh, and there's some very compelling evidence, uh, starting with the, the Michigan governor's uh, kidnapping case, which was now obviously set up by the FBI, and that the person in charge of that that area was moved to the capital region and was in charge of this whole uh, area uh, during uh, January, you got there in December. So there's a lot of questions being asked. Uh, and, and, uh, but you answered a key one is, that I've had is exactly where the violence started. And I think you've focused it in right there on those flashbang grenades. Uh, uh, unfortunately, there are five dead Americans that I think uh, all of their deaths uh, originated on that west side of the Capitol. Uh, the second individual that you guys talk about uh, in your reporting is a man named Kevin Greeson. And it appeared to me that he, he was in the same area. Now I've got a couple of video clips I wanna show uh, 
of you guys talking about Mr. Greason and what happened to him. Uh, so let's uh, let's run through those. If I could, there it is. Let's run through those. Here's clip number one. The ground right now, passed out, getting CPR done. They can't get anybody in here, and the cops are throwing flashbangs into the crowd. They're trying to save this guy's life right now. Guard out here. I was wrong. I thought that guy was causing problems, but he's not. Oh. I think that man probably died. I hope they saved his life. Now, before we go to the second clip, which has some interesting comments uh, from some of our friends uh, in the uh, regime media, is all I call them nowadays. But uh, uh, before we go to that, it, you know, it was obvious to me that that's very close to the same vicinity that Mr. Phillips was. Am I correct in that visually? Yes, you when are. I look it was at it was about approximately twenty to thirty feet away from Benjamin Phillips. Mm -hmm. And you were right there in the vicinity of both of these gentlemen, right? Yeah, I was right next to to both of them at the moment. I didn't realize that there was people down because there mm -hmm. were so many concussion grenades flying, and I was focused on getting interviews and not getting shot by pepper balls and concussion grenades. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I was directly in the vicinity. And in some of the videos that we've got, we just didn't include them in the article. You can actually see me walking around in the background, interviewing people, you know, not even five mm -hmm. feet away from where uh, Benjamin Phillips was laying. So I was right there and it shows you how easy it was to not be able to tell when someone went down in a crowd like that. Cause a lot of people didn't even know that anyone was down that day. Yeah, uh, and even even something struck me as I watched these these clips that there are kids standing there, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know any parents uh, uh, on the I hate to say conservative, but on the side that of Americans that still believe in the Declaration and the Constitution uh, that are going to intentionally bring their kids to a violent action if they were mm -hmm. planning one uh, because. They've seen the left do that, and it's insane, uh, uh, number one. Uh, and uh, it, so, so, so that struck me, too, is that uh, not just the kids, but there's not people, like, foaming at the mouth saying, mm -hmm. go kill the cops and everything, uh, uh, like what you're portrayed at, you know, we're portrayed as uh, by the entire media situation. Uh, is that is that an accurate capture? Yeah, of it's, situation? it's very accurate, and that's that's one reason why everyone got so angry and why it did eventually lead to violence is because 
they were literally bombarding children. They were bombarding children, you know, elderly women, elderly men. I knew multiple people that day that, you know, right as that took place, they said, okay, screw this, what's going on? We gotta take the kids, we gotta get the girls out of here because this is something entirely different than what this was supposed to be. But no, they were hitting, you know, they were spraying kids, they were spraying elderly women. And, you know, they really had, I mean, honestly, no regard for anyone's life that day. And, and those videos show. Yeah, well, let's let's look at the second clip from Mr. Greeson's uh, death. Uh, and uh, it, it's a different perspective, uh, but the commentary is interesting. And uh, it'll be interesting to hear what you have to say, Taylor, uh, after this one. As flashbang grenades went off, a man in the crowd suffered a medical emergency and then was pulled out to get CPR. And a guy behind us said, this is our first fallen, he's the first victim. We had been hearing that anti-government radicals were waiting for the first shot to be fired to start a revolution. And I thought for some, this man on the ground was what they were waiting for. That's uh, from our friends at the uh, compost over there, mm -hmm. as Mark Levin likes to call them. And uh, they're, uh, uh, but you notice how she framed it, right? Oh, of These course. Anti government. Uh, crazy people it seems you know they're violent extremists uh and everything did you see that i mean you're right there is that what you saw it's the exact opposite of what i saw i saw people waving american flags you know yelling god bless america people shaking cops hands people talking to cops people literally giving cops hugs i mean there, mm -hmm. there's nothing that's farther from the truth is yeah it did escalate into violence but only after the police attacked the american people and continue to do so. And her video put it perfectly. We actually found that a day before we uh, were about to publish that article. And we're like, oh, look, this is this is it right here is a Washington Post reporter confirming exactly what we've been saying this entire time is after a crowd munition was thrown into the into the crowd, a protester went down. And that's exactly what happened. And I really just want to put a little side note and say thank you to Washington Post for making our job a million times easier. Now, now, have they buried that story? Because uh, I'd never seen that. Uh, we we I had to dig. Those, I mean, that I follow was, those guys that fairly was after, closely. You know, months of digging that it actually we took us to come upon this video, and and right as we did, we knew exactly who it was. We knew it was Kevin Greeson. We saw the medical stretcher, and this Washington Post video actually did us a really good solid in not just confirming what we've been saying about the grenade killing Kevin Greeson but also identifying Kevin Greeson and separating him from Benjamin Phillips because they both looked very similar. They went down in the mm -hmm. same area that day. And that's something we had struggled with prior to that. But in that video, as they're loading him on the stretcher and a few other videos that we cross-examined, you can see that Benjamin Phillips that day, the first victim is wearing uh, shoes with red soles and light blue jeans. Yep. And Kevin Greeson is wearing darker blue jeans with cowboy boots. And that's really what did it for us. Now, Mr. Uh, uh, Phillips was the gentleman that was carried out on a piece of fencing, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it, 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 and we didn't really talk about it uh, when talking about his case, but, but 
did not the Capitol Police or the police officers that were around, uh, uh, or were there no medics stationed nearby? Did nobody help to get him out of the area to an ambulance? Well, so what happened is Greason and, and Phillips both went down almost simultaneously around the same time. And you see with Benjamin Phillips, there was no medical personnel. There was no police officers trying to help, not a single person other than protesters. And with Kevin Greason, just a few feet away, uh, there actually, there was no police help, no uh, EMT help or aid at the beginning. And they actually had to pick him up on multiple occasions and bring him closer to the police line over and over and over again. And by the time they even got him to where the EMTs could help him, he was dead. You know, he had already passed away. His bowels had released. And you can see, you know, that he had wet his pants while he's being uh, picked up. And that's a, you know, sure tell sign to see that he has already stopped breathing and they didn't get him the medical help he needed. But even as EMT personnel came down to help Greason after he was already dead, the, the cops were still throwing concussion grenades. They were throwing concussion grenades right next to these EMT personnel and next to these other two police officers. You know, so they didn't just not have any regard for human life that day. They didn't have any regard for their own people. And, and uh, give folks a sense of the timeline here and how long all of this took. I mean, I'm assuming that, that since I'm not hearing it in the video and, and it wasn't in the article, that you never heard them declare an unlawful assembly like, like they, what normally happens. They declared happens. an unlawful assembly. And how they did it is they walked around the Capitol, the hills of Congress, well, the hallways of Congress with a tiny Bluetooth speaker, very small Bluetooth speaker. You know, you couldn't even hear it unless you were right next to them. And it says this has been declared an unlawful assembly. Now you need to get out of the area before we use concussion grenades and they name their munitions that they'll use. Um, but no, this was after the fact that the Capitol had one already been breached and they had mm. already killed multiple people on the outside before they declared anything. And 99% of the people that were there that day had no idea that it had been declared an unlawful assembly. So that, that what you just described, had not happened at this point? No, not at this point. Uh, and when did you, did you actually see the speaker, person carrying the speaker around? Or? Um, I did not. It was after a lot of our uh, team investigated, you know, hours upon hours. And we actually came across one video, is the only one we've been able to find, of an officer walking through the hall of uh, the Senate and he has a tiny Bluetooth speaker and it's playing, but you can't even hear it. The only hmm. reason we were able to hear it is because the person that took the video said, oh, it sounds like they're declaring it an unlawful assembly finally. And we're like, oh, that's a little bit weird because at that point where that video was taken, they had already killed three people. Wow. That's, that's amazing and it, 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 it really troubling. I mean, this whole, this whole thing is really... Uh, uh, I'm puzzled by uh, their actions on this day, but it's becoming clearer and clearer as as uh, more investigation is done and real facts come out uh, that uh, the violence really didn't have to happen. Uh, the improper policing and policy execution, whatever it was or commands, uh, had a big, big influence, if not was the spark uh, that lit off the violent portion of this whole activity this day. It really didn't have anything to do with politics or the protesters or anything else. It was all about the Metro PD and the Capitol Police and their uh, their actions, man. I tell you what, uh, and, uh, and you, you mentioned the third death already. 
had happened at this point. And that, that's at the West Capitol Tunnel that I asked you about earlier, uh, Taylor. Uh, set this up. I've got uh, uh, two or three videos of Miss Boyland. Uh, we'll go through each one of them. But uh, uh, where were you in relation to the area? Uh, did you see any of this activity? Uh, and, uh, and what is, is the team's research shown uh, from eyewitness accounts for what happened at the West Capitol Tunnel when uh, Roseanne yeah. Boylan was killed? Yeah, at the time of Roseanne Boylan actually being trampled and beaten to death by the police, um, I was about, I'd say, about approximately 40 feet back from the tunnel. I had no real interest in going over there. It just looked like one big you know, kind of jam um, between police and between protesters. Um, but what our team has discovered after interviewing countless eyewitnesses is Jake Lang as well. Jake Lang saved Benjamin Phillips' life, which is our number one witness on this case with Roseanne, is a man named Benjamin Phillips. I mean, not Benjamin Phillips, excuse me. Um, Benjamin Anderson, Philip Anderson. He actually was holding Roseanne Boylan's hand after they had both gotten trampled because the police continued to use crowd munitions, continued to cover them in pepper spray and push them backwards on top of each other. Before anyone could get up, they would just continue to push more and more people on top of them, basically causing just this big traffic jam of bodies. And they continued to spray everybody that was laying on the ground. And the way that Philip described it is he couldn't breathe. It sucked the air out of him, whatever they were spraying him with and he thought he was going to die and that's when roseanne boylan's hand grabs his and he held on to her hand for you know approximately 30 seconds to a minute and he felt her let go and at the moment that he felt her let go he accepted you know okay i'm gonna die this is where i'm gonna die um i, I can't do anything and that's where jake lane came and he actually grabbed philip and saved his life and there's a lot of pictures of this um, but he pulled him out from the bottom of this pile that police continued to push people on. And now Jake Lang has been sitting in prison for over a year because of this, because he, he saved a man's life from the police after they were brutally assaulting them and killing people. But it, now he gets to sit in prison for, I mean, an indefinite amount of time because the January 6th committee wanted to use a little snippet of footage where it shows him being aggressive towards an officer but they leave the part out of where they're beating Roseanne Boylan's and multiple people. Yeah, I've done I've done a couple of video editorials on Jake, and uh, uh, it's just pitiful. It's pitiful that we live in a country uh, that's treating its citizens like countries like Castro's communist Cuba uh, and uh, Hugo Chavez's communist uh, Venezuela uh, treat their people, and uh, it's just incredibly sad and infuriating. Uh, and, it, it, and you know what? This is the kind of government behavior that radicalizes people, mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen. This is the kind of government behavior that radicalizes. So I've got a couple of clips here of the area and they're of Miss Boylan. And, and, and fair warning, he, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Greeson's were, were, were tough because of what you saw, his, his position and where he was at. But this one is even tougher. Uh, so we're, fair warning, folks, these are tough videos to watch, but it's important for you, the American people, to understand the facts of what really went on with these deaths of American citizens uh, here, because everything that you've been told really is a lie. It really is. Uh, so let's go with clip number one here. I think this is from 
uh, of you looking into the tunnel and at the officers that were beating Roseanne Boylan. Now the next video uh, is going to have more markings on it that uh, were put in. I, I believe they were from uh, the uh, We the People's January 6th committee, uh, which you can find online. Just Google what I just said, uh, and you can find them in all of their videos that they've done a lot of analysis on. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. yes it is. So you saw the police officer... Uh, with a what looked like a really long stick or pole or something, and they're beating down on people at the edge of this, uh, the entrance to this tunnel uh, that goes into the Capitol building. And here's here's clip number two. It's a little bit longer, but it's uh, a lot more detailed. It's tough to watch. It's really tough to watch. Uh, uh, the, you've talked to folks that were there, as you mentioned, and everything, uh, but who the heck were these police officers that were just beating the crap out of these American citizens? And why? Do we know why they, this altercation was occurring, other than they were just pressed up in the, that tunnel trying to get entrance to the building? I, I truly believe that, you know, the, the Metropolitan Police Department that day is, you know, at least Lila Morris, the officer that was responsible for beating Roseanne Boylan's lifeless body on the ground. Uh, she went there wanting to hurt somebody that day. And I have a story kind of in the works about that and, you know, potentially proves premeditated murder on the behalf of Lila Morris. Um, but it's truly disgusting. You know, that, that video, it's always hard to watch. And just to talk to the family of Roseanne Boyland and to see what the media has done with her, especially as they said, the medical examiner said that she died of an acute amphetamine uh, intoxication. So essentially in layman's terms, it's a drug overdose. Mm -hmm. And we all know that's not a very common thing to happen at Trump rallies. 
Um, but Roseanne, she had had only her prescribed dose of Adderall that she had been taking for years in her system that day. What I assume happened is the medical examiner saw what happened. You know, he had her body rolled into him and said, okay, well, what's the easiest way that we can play this one off? Drug, drug overdose is because she had amphetamine in her system that day. And, you know, Roseanne had been years sober. It was her greatest accomplishment. Her mm -hmm. family was so proud of her for it. So it's just really disgusting to see that, you know, there's videos like this out there of Lila Morris with Metropolitan Police Department overhead striking her with a walking stick that she took from another Trump supporter. And we, we identified the two, what we call the kill blows. And that's the, the two blows directly to the head as she's already unconscious laying on the ground back to back from Lila Morris. And I've never seen, I mean, you can't even call this misconduct from police. It's murder is what took place in that tunnel that day. I mean, it was blatant murder and there's no other way to describe it. And one, one more thing I'd like to add as well is Harry Dunn and Sergeant Gonell, you know, the wonder team, mm -hmm. the ones that paraded in front of the January 6th committee, is they said that they were getting her help. You know, they, they actually mm -hmm. took her to the office inside. You could see them drag her away on the video. And at the time that they said they were providing CPR to Roseanne Boylan, she was laying on the ground being beaten and other people were trying to help her. And in a portion of that video, you can actually see someone walk right in front of Lila Morris and just get down and put their hands over their head facing away from them trying to shield Roseanne's body because everyone in this area was I mean they were witnessing one of the most horrifying things they've probably ever seen is you have a female MPD officer beating a woman's unconscious body over and over and over again so of course that's going to make people mad you know I probably would have interjected myself in that situation too if I saw it and that's exactly what they did is they mm -hmm. tried to stop them. And upon trying to stop them, that's where they release the video footage and say, hey, look at how violent these Trump supporters were, when in reality, they cut out the part right before where they had just murdered an innocent woman. Yeah, so that tree branch that was identified, is that the walking stick that yes. uh, the, the Lila, what was her name again? Uh, Lila Morris. Morris, uh, the MPD officer right there, took that pole and and hit Ms. Boylan over the head with it twice, if I understand. Mm -hmm. And her body multiple times was struck with it. And actually earlier in the video, she also hit Roseanne Boylan with her baton. And they're seen kicking somebody on the ground, which I, mm -hmm. what I can assume to be Roseanne Boylan as well, is they really just had no regard for life and they knew exactly what they were doing in that tunnel to people. So other eyewitnesses, Taylor, at this particular event, I mean, what triggered this? Do you know yet? Or I am not entirely sure what triggered this first uh, class, but what happened is you had MPD holding this tunnel mm -hmm. and they retreated back in the tunnel to kind of make it seem open, you know, that people could walk up there. And this is when the Capitol Police had evacuated the first little breach area where they were standing, throwing munitions at people. Okay. So the crowd began to push upwards. And what really took place at the tunnel is you had hundreds of thousands of people pushing and you have people in the very back not understanding what's going on at the front because they can't see. They're just trying to get closer. Yeah. And as they're pushing and as they're walking and being pushed from behind, it's pushing more and more people into this tunnel and is jam-packing them in there with MPD. And Metropolitan Police Department just began, I mean, a, a full-out assault on people. And that's where the pushback comes from, of where people began tumbling onto each other because people were being pushed from behind to get closer to the tunnel. 
And as they were being pushed from behind, they were also being pushed backwards back onto each other. So it just created this huge mess of people being trampled and beaten by the police. Now, has Miss Boylan's family had an independent autopsy and, and tox report done on her? Um, not that I know of. From what I'm aware is every single person that day that died was cremated. Really? By their families? Um, some by their families and some by the government, I believe. Really? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very suspicious, to say the least. Is the medical yeah. examiner lies about all these things, and then they all end up um, in, in a box of ashes. So yeah. it's, it's really kind of something that people should be raising questions about. And I do know that Ashley Babbitt, she was cremated at the request of her husband, Aaron, because he mm -hmm. didn't want to stand you know, her sitting in a fridge until he could get to Washington, D.C. Um, so yeah. I know that one was done from the family. Um, yeah. But a lot of these people, including Officer Sicknick, he was cremated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's no way we can run an independent medical examiner's report or autopsy because there's nothing to run it on anymore. And, you know, I remember in the past, you could FOIA request, you know, autopsy pictures, you could get the details, yep. and it was very, fairly easy to get. Yeah. But nowadays, is you can't get any of that. You can't get pictures, you can't get details, you can't get any of it. And I truly do believe that's intentional, especially in these cases, is they do not want an independent autopsy done on any of these people because it's gonna show the bruises on Roseanne Boyland, it's gonna show the beating that she took that the medical examiner didn't care to mention. Yeah, and if they didn't take those documentation uh, 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 approaches, uh, then the medical examiner needs to be held accountable for dereliction of duty. It's, exactly. Uh, well, and this medical examiner, he's he was the one involved in the Seth Rich case. You know, he's been involved. Mm -hmm. He overruled in the Chauvin case. Is this medical examiner? Is he has no boss. I mean, he is the boss, basically. It's he can go in and interject himself in a case anywhere he wants, mm -hmm. and whatever he says goes. So, you know, he's very drunk on power, and he definitely needs to be investigated. Well, that's another investigation for us to go after, for sure. Uh, because it's got to be done, folks. We've got to get question, these questions answered about this, because the select committee that's been set up by the partisans, uh, and it's an unconstitutional committee, by the way, I will add, uh, is not looking at really what happened, nor are they looking at the causes of the lack of security at the Capitol that day, which that falls right on Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi's uh, heads is where that goes. So, And we need to get those questions answered. Uh, we have to get them answered. Uh, if we don't, the as I said, this is the kind of action that radicalizes, especially young people. It really does, and it's very dangerous what's happened here. And that gets to the next next one. And Taylor, the first time I met you uh, was when you came on my show to talk about Ashley Babbitt's uh, 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 murder. It's a murder. That's what I call it now. Uh, at the time, I wasn't sure. But now I know for sure she was murdered by a Capitol Police officer. And, uh, and, and, and you came on and you, you told us what you could, and we looked at a little bit of video. But, uh, but now uh, I've got five clips here I want to walk you through uh, because you've had an opportunity to, to do the transcribing and the frame-by-frame -frame analysis uh, of the audio and the video. 
uh, and and other look at other people's video too. So uh, take us up to the point where you're walking down the hallway and you run into the the uh, sergeant at arms person looking at his phone. Yeah, well, I had actually up until that point just been wandering. And if you've ever seen the video of Jake Chansley and everybody at the front, right outside the speaker's lobby where the cops are saying, hey, we'll let you go in if you're peaceful, no destruction, no violence, but we'll let you in. And mm-hmm. they're trying to calm down the crowd. And, you know, after that, you had the agitator in the back, you know, start yelling and it kind of had the police push out and they just left the area, left those doors to everybody. And everyone was kind of lingering around this one door and nothing, no one was going anywhere. Everyone was just sitting there. And that's when I realized I could walk to the left. So I began walking to the left and, you know, I walked straight down this hallway and I turned left into this room that had this huge George Washington portrait in it. And, you know, I walked in and kind of checked it out. It was very cool to see in person. Mm -hmm. And upon turning around and exiting the room, uh, John Sullivan actually was coming into the room and I see Ashley Babbitt and I think in my head, okay, let's follow her. You know, you know, she seems like, you know, she's alone. So I just, for some reason, you know, the bells went off in my head that it would be a good idea to follow this woman. And I began walking by her side by side. And, you know, we were just went straight down to those doors and we ended up turning right. And that's where that video comes of, you know, I actually say hi to the Sergeant of Arms employee that was there as she died and did nothing for her and asked him how he was doing. He said, hey, good, how are you? And I said, great. You know, and I told mm-hmm. him to stay safe. And one, I don't think that's how you act if there's, you know, armed terrorists, like the media would like to say, uh, was there that day. Is That's not how you'd be acting, you know, walking totally unaware, looking down at your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we turn the corner, and you actually hear me on video author, Officer Yetter, a water bottle. And, you know, was, this, is, this was the environment there that day. Is I was there to help. I was there to yeah. document. And Ashley Babbitt is seen, you know, just having a normal conversation with these officers right next to me. And this video was taken just a few minutes prior to her actually being shot and killed. Okay, and just for the audience's uh, clarification, who is John Sullivan? So John Sullivan is, I like to call him an agitator, is realistically he's just a thug. That's the best way to put it is he's not accepted on the right. He's not accepted on the left. The left has ousted him because he is known for agitating and for creating riots and starting violence at their protests. So they don't mm-hmm. even want him anywhere over there. And now, you know, he's on the right, dressed up in Trump gear, which he is not a Trump supporter. He's about the farthest thing from it. And he claims he is an independent journalist, um, but only after the fact of where he was caught inside the Capitol and sold his footage for $75,000 to NBC mm-hmm. and CNN which it's impossible to license footage for that much, by the way. It's blatant money laundering. Um, yeah. No, it's, it, John Sullivan is, you know, I've, that's actually where I started my journalism. I lived in Utah prior to moving to Texas, and he owns a group, well, he leads a group called Insurgents USA, and they're a heavily armed militia group um, that, you know, has more left, left-leaning views, and they basically run security at Antifa rallies, at Black Lives Matter rallies, and they can be seen everywhere. And they caused nothing but problems. I actually covered one of their protests that escalated into a riot and a shooting um, in Provo, Utah. This is before I even understood who John Sullivan was, and I was just mm-hmm. getting into journalism. And he actually was alongside one of his other Insurgents USA guys named Jesse Taggart. And Jesse Taggart attempted to shoot and kill a truck driver and actually did shoot him. Um, and he ended up in jail afterwards. And John Sullivan was booked on that exact same day. 
That's exactly right. And that's why it's important for folks to know who he is and that he was in close proximity uh, to the events we're about to talk about. But, uh, but this is new information that really hasn't been shown before. Uh, and I hope, I hope that somebody like a Joe Rogan or, uh, or somebody like that with a big show and a big following will hear about you and this and get you on because it really needs to be shown uh, because it completely changes uh, uh, the facts, the known facts about Ashley Babbitt. We knew she was murdered. We, we knew she wasn't being violent. You could see that, but there are some other things here that are very important. So let's, let's start going through the videos, Taylor. How are you doing, man? Yeah. Stay safe, alright? Man, you are covered. I thought I was that. You got it way worse. Hey, do you need water or something? So that's, uh, as you guys are walking down the hall, you see the sergeant at arms person who's not acting like they're violent terrorists mm -hmm. attacking the building uh, and roaming through the building. And you come up to the speaker's lobby doors, right? That's where that situation was. And that's Officer Yetter that you yeah, offered his name water Officer to, Yetter. right? All right. Clip number two. Now, what was Miss Babbitt saying there? That was her yelling at the police officer. Yeah, so actually, in the very beginning of the video, you can see that she slides her body in front of Zachary Long and attempts to, you know, kind of say something to him, but he totally disregards her. And he gets to the right side, and that's when he punches and breaks another window. And Ashley can be seen getting visibly frustrated after that. And she looks directly at the cops and hops up and down. And the exact words that she said, she said, call fucking help. We're allowed to be here. As in we're allowed to be in the house because we pay for the house. And she's completely yeah. right. Is she actually provided security for the Capitol for years prior uh, when she was uh, serving in the Air Force for 14 years? Is, you know, she, she knows how to protect the Capitol. And she was visibly getting frustrated by the police not doing their jobs. So she wanted them to prevent these guys from breaking the windows. Yeah, she didn't want that. She, she knew, she understood the scope of things and who lied on the other side of those doors, what those speakers lobby doors were. And mm -hmm. she's visibly trying to get him to stop. And as you, you know, play these, these new clips that we have came out with, uh, you know, a little bit farther mm -hmm. down the line is you, you can really see that. And it puts the whole puzzle together. Yeah, I was, I was uh, impressed uh, when I got the opportunity to finally go through them all. Here's, here's number three, same location. So that's where you see Yetter, he's over to the right now up against the wall, 
uh, and he's looking. Where is he looking at right there? So he's actually, what that red line is tracking, it's his line of sight. And where Officer Yetter was looking, it was directly in the trajectory, in a diagonal trajectory through the glass, directly at Michael Byrd, who was aiming his firearm in the direct vicinity of him and other officers. And that's why you see him duck all of a sudden in a split second, and then they're out of frame because he actually ducked and pushed all of his other officers out of the way because he realized, you know, there's one of my colleagues is pointing a firearm directly at us. So they got, he got his officers out of the line of fire. And almost immediately after that, you see the CERT team come up and that's when Ashley Babbitt was shot. Now the next two clips, uh, the first one is going to focus on Miss Babbitt uh, and Zachary Allen uh, before we go to the final clip, which many people have, have probably seen before, which was the video you had running on Twitter uh, live at the time that uh, her murder occurred. But let's take a look at this first one here. This is something that I had not seen before. So when you see that happen, who is Alum? Who is this guy? So Zachary Alum was actually one of the main agitators there that day, you know, responsible for agitating the police, breaking things, breaking windows. And especially in that little speaker's lobby is he was the only one to actually start the, the breaking of the windows. And he was the one that punched each individual window out and Ashley attempted to stop him multiple times. And as we saw in the earlier clip, she tried to interject in him and said something. And, you know, this wasn't the first time or the last time she tried to stop him. And, you know, she's actually heard in some other videos yelling, stop, no, stop, over and over and over again, directly at Zachary Alam. And at this point, as the cops shifted, Yetter and all the other officers took John Sullivan's advice, apparently, and, you know, accepted the loss and said, okay, yeah, we'll leave. And as these officers shift over, you can see her kind of go into panic mode because she realizes there are no cops securing this area anymore. And that's when she walks up to Zachary along and she says something. And then she grabs him with her right hand and reaches around and pulls him towards her. And you can see Zachary acknowledging her and making direct eye contact with her for a brief second. And that's where she brings up her left hand. She was left handed. And she punches Zachary Alam right in the face, knocking his glasses down. And what we had originally thought is from, you know, our brief interactions with Alam and what we had heard through his attorney is that, you know, he, he feels bad for what happened to Ashley. This was the beginning of it because mm -hmm. he broke the window and he had to stop to adjust his glasses momentarily. But the real story that comes out of that that Zachary Alam didn't want to talk about is the fact that he broke that window Ashley turned him around, punched him in the face, which is why he had to readjust his glasses. And then not even seven seconds later, she was shot and killed for going in the window to try and stop Zachary along from doing what he was doing. And you can see his reaction in the later video when he realizes the scope of what he just did because he was the one that put that window out. He was the reason that Ashley was going through that window to stop. And, you know, he hit the, the face of horror I've never seen anything like it. it. You know, he screams and he runs down the steps because he understands what just happened is that, that that same girl that was telling him to stop doing what he was doing and that punched him for it 
went through the window and was shot and killed for it when he was going to be the one going through that window. Yeah, let's take a look at that final video uh, uh, as we discuss what you, we watch, what you just talked about. That's a tough video to watch again, uh, but uh, it just, watching this at the end of this thread of videos, and you can see that this woman was not a violent insurrectionist. She was actually a uh, patriotic American trying to stop bad things from happening uh, while she was exercising her First Amendment rights to air her grievances in the House of Congress, which belongs to us. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, she gave her life for it, really. Well, it's, it's truly terrifying to see, you know, it's honestly more tragic that she was actually trying to do the police jobs and was killed for it than what the original story was, is that she went up in the window on her own. And, you know, it's yeah. it kind of makes it even to a more messed up situation, is that she felt the need to do the officer's jobs for them and then in return, an officer executed her with no verbal warning, um, you know, just in cold blood. And one thing I'd like to talk about is the way that Ashley Babbitt was shot was easily survivable. She was shot in her left anterior shoulder. There was no mm -hmm. exit wound. The bullet barely nicked her lung. And as she's laying on the ground, you see that same Sergeant of Arms employee who I had walked past and, mm -hmm. and said hi to actually shift her down so she is no longer leaning upwards off her backpack. She's laying straight down. And, you know, we try and provide medical care for medical aid. And you got me, uh, RMG Media, and then you have another protester standing, sitting next to her, trying to find her wound, shining a flashlight on her wound. And these cops are not helping at all. You have the CERT team that Michael Bird said wasn't there. They were already mm -hmm. in the room when Ashley Babbitt was shot. They were just BSing back and forth with each other because they saw no threat. And the, the true, truly messed up part that I can't wrap my head around still to this day is why the cops right there did not help her. And instead, they allowed her to bleed out. They, they let her sit there for minutes. And then they carried her upside down, down the stairs like a dead dog when she has a wound in her left anterior shoulder. And all this woman needed, all Ashley needed to survive that day was a blood pump. She just needed to have the blood cleared from her throat and I mm -hmm. truly do believe she would have survived, but instead they yeah. pushed us off of her and they didn't, they didn't allow her medical attention. Yeah, and that seems to be a common theme in, in your investigation of this uh, and your independent journalist team is that the officers were not helping American citizens. Mm -hmm. uh, they were treating them like enemies, even though uh, they were peaceful at the very beginning of all this, uh, and uh, that is a problem. We need to ask and answer these questions of why did they do this? Why did they throw grenades, flashbang grenades, into a crowd of peaceful protesters? It's amazing that corporate media has uh, not only ignored this story, but run with the fake narrative 
uh, violent insurrection, you know, uh, and the evidence is everywhere uh, that that just isn't true. Mm-hmm. Just of course, and we true. aren't going to get to the bottom of this or a real investigation with the current January 6th committee. I mean, all you have to look, no, you have to look no farther than Adam Kinzinger is he actually donated $200 to Michael Leroy Bird's GoFundMe almost immediately after he shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. And Michael Bird, mm-hmm. he's raised over $100,000 since murdering Ashley Babbitt. And, you know, that is quite literally the definition of blood money. And you have someone who's sitting on the committee that is supposed to be, you know, unbiased, is supposed to be in an investigation manner, donating to literally the same cop that shot and killed a woman not even a few feet from where they, you know, put laws in order, where they actually pass bills, you know, and they just went on with their day like nothing ever happened. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And when I saw Mr. Bird on 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. I believe it was, or NBC, I'm sorry. With yeah, Lester Holt. Uh, say, I didn't know who I was shooting at. That right there is a confession of an officer that went rogue and violated every mm-hmm. single use of force, deadly force policy. Uh, and I used to write them and, and, and supervise them being implemented as a colonel in the Air Force where I had 600 officers underneath me. So I know what a deadly force policy is. And he violated everything and confessed to it on national television yep. uh, by saying that. And he was not in an area that where you are allowed to indiscriminately shoot uh, people. Uh, it was very clear that this woman was unarmed uh, and should have been clear that she was trying to help. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, certainly is. the more alarming part of it as well is the fact that the, the media has celebrated the death of Ashley Babbitt and the killing of Ashley Babbitt is yeah. they go with this insurrection narrative when, you know, she's more patriotic than any one of those Capitol Police officers. She's done more for the country than any one of those officers that were working there that day. She served mm-hmm. 14 years in the Air Force. They murder her in one of the most documented cases of excessive force that I've ever seen in the country. And then they hide his identity for almost half a year afterwards. And I had to come out a month afterwards and say his identity and scream it from the rooftops because they wouldn't, because they're protecting him. And they cleared him from an internal investigation. He refused to cooperate with investigators. He would not answer questions. And they said, Mm -hmm. oh, okay, I guess it's justified. And they did the same thing with Lila Morris and the beating of Roseanne Boyland as well. Uh, It blows me away. Taylor, it blows me away. I'm glad that Tucker Carlson had you on his documentary, uh, which drove all the leftist uh, nuts and the leftist media nuts. Uh, because not number one, it was important the facts that you have to get out. And uh, number two, uh, that's the right thing to do is get eyewitnesses that have documented videos and were there. Uh, it's called journalism. It, yeah, it's called journalism. Uh, of course, he was madly attacked for that. Now, there's one American citizen death left, uh, and uh, after reading your, your investigative report and everything, I think I agree with you. This man was died, really, at the hands of the Capitol Police uh, and the Metro PD's inappropriate policing actions uh, on this day, on January 6th, even though he died a day later. And that's Officer Brian Sicknick which many lies uh, continue to be told about his death. Well, yeah, and at first, tell you know, the, the audience. media came out and said that 
he had his head bashed in with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. And then Cassandra Fairbanks with Gateway Pundit and with Tim Pool came out and said, no, this is the medical examiner's report. There's no bruising. There's no abrasions. There's nothing. Nothing happened to him. You know, they said that he died of a stroke. So then that was the narrative is that he died of a stroke, but mm -hmm. it was from Trump supporters that had sprayed him with pepper spray. And then they mm -hmm. failed to provide evidence of that. And that's when our team came along and began picking it, you know, kind of picking this thing apart. And that's when we ran into multiple eyewitnesses. And there actually are more than just what we involved in the story, but we're kind of holding on to them in case, you know, they, they want to get serious about this so we can provide even more evidence. Um, but with the two eyewitnesses that we have is it's more than enough evidence is around, you know, 2, 2.30 p.m. is our first eyewitness named Rod Taylor actually heard Trump supporters that were coming out of the Capitol saying, hey, we need to get this cop help. You know, he's not looking good. So then Rod ran, ran up to him and actually put both hands on Officer Sicknick's shoulders and examined him. And Rod, you know, wasn't a doctor, wasn't anything of the mm -hmm. sorts, but he could immediately tell that it looked like Officer Sicknick had had a stroke or had suffered, you know, something to do with the brain. And mm -hmm. that's when he said, okay, you know, we have to get him help. And he helped carry Sicknick to an, uh, four to six officers that were a little bit down the road um, with these other supporters. And as they drop him off, he says, yeah, you guys got to get him help. You know, he's not looking good. And they said, no, you know, we, we got medical, he'll be fine. And they're just trying to give him water. And then later on in the night, hours later, around seven to 7.30 PM, so this has been about four to five hours since Rod Taylor tried to get him help and the cops said they were going to help him. Officer Sicknick is in the scene in the same area where they took him to get him help from another yeah. one of our witness, Chris Alberts, as he was actually being detained. And Chris is an ex-combat medic. He's a combat lightsaber. You know, he has more medical experience than any of these officers combined. And he says, you know, immediately right as he hears, he hears uh, one of these officers say, hey, brother, are you okay, Sicknick? And he looks over and he sees Officer Sicknick and he can tell that he has had a stroke. He has all the signs and they obviously haven't gone through the FAST protocol with him because they're sitting there dousing him in water and he can't even swallow it and they're acting like it's normal. And so he says, hey, let me help this officer. Like, he looks really bad. He needs help right now. And they say, no, mind your own business. And he's like, seriously, guys, like you, you can cuff me in the front, but let me provide medical attention to this cop before he dies, like just while you're waiting for uh, medical to get here, let me help. And they told him, no, mind your own business. You know, we'll take care of it. And then at 10 p.m., a few hours later, Officer Brian Sicknick collapsed in the rotunda of the Capitol. And, you know, not in, in not in the hospital, not in an ambulance, not outside where he was inside because the cops had brought him back inside after not getting him medical attention, after hearing it from multiple people and clearly seeing that. Officer Sicknick was in dire need and honestly was dying every single minute that he went unattended mm -hmm. yeah. and they didn't get him any help. So then the next day he collapses. Well, at 10 p.m. he collapses. He's brought to a hospital and he dies on a ventilator the next day at 10 p.m. And one thing I'd like to say also is the media somehow knew with their magic crystal ball that Officer Sicknick was going to end up dead is the Capitol Police actually had to put out a statement saying no, no officers have died from January 6th is only injured officers. No one has died yet because CNN had reached out and said, hey, we have, we've heard reports that you have an officer that has died. And this was around 7 p.m. So this is around the time that our second witness had seen him. And he, you know, they, he hadn't died yet. So they're 
the media clearly was in on this or had some sort of sinister motive here is they wanted an officer to die and they knew an officer was going to die. And that's the narrative that they ran with, but they've lied about completely everything else. Yeah. In fact, they, 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 they got, uh, the political leaders to run with it, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and Joe Biden still says it still says it to this day. Well, all you need to see Colonel is the fact that they laid him in the, in the Arlington national cemetery and they held him, they laid him in wait for three days in the rotunda, which that's, that's an honor for the president, for a president that passes away yeah. while in office. That's what that is, is they escalated yeah. him on the highest altar. And what I believe that was for was for the family, was to get the family on their side so they wouldn't mm. ask questions later down the line is, you know, your husband is a hero. He died in the line of duty, even though he didn't. He died yeah. afterwards. Mm. And, you know, they, they can talk concocted this huge lie to make him seem like this hero when in reality, they were the ones that killed him. Is They're celebrating their successful murder of one of their own and praising him up as a hero. And, and truly, it's one of the most disgusting deaths of the entire day. It sure is. Uh, and it's had one of the most long standing between Ashley Babbitt and Officer Sicknick's uh, uh, deaths. It's had, it, those two have had the most negative, long lasting effects and will far into the future. Uh, until someday history is written by people that really want the real history uh, and the real facts documented. Mm -hmm. uh, and I hope that's, that day comes soon, Taylor. Tell folks how they can find you and your team uh, on your social media and, uh, and where they can read this wonderful article uh, that's a result of this great investigative reporting. Of course. Well, you guys can find me and my work at Taylor USA. It's T-A-Y-L-E-R USA, and that's on Twitter and all social medias. And then where I write my articles and where my team sources their articles is taylorhanson.substack.com. That link is also available on my Twitter. And for donations or any support with investigations for the team, you can do stophate.com forward slash help. And like I said, you know, we've done this bare bones, no money, no funding, no help from absolutely anybody for the past year. And we're more than happy to do it. But mm -hmm. it kind of opened the doors a little bit more if we had, you know, travel money as we're actually intending to go to D.C. later in about two weeks. And we're going to find Lila Morris. We're going to find these officers and we're going to confront them with all these questions that they that the committee didn't ask them. Nobody else has asked them. So we're going to take that into our own hands and we're going to begin asking the questions. Well, it's about time uh, that journalists get in front of these people, uh, and I look forward to the work coming out. I will amplify that uh, as much as I can uh, because it's critically important, the American people, all the American people, whether they agreed with Joe Biden or agree with Donald Trump, need to know the truth of what happened because this wasn't a violent insurrection. Yes, it did turn into a riot, but why? This team of independent journalists led by Taylor Hansen is uncovering that truth, folks. You need to follow them and support them with your donations so they can get out there and do more of it. Taylor, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Uh, and we'll do everything we can to get this out. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Colonel. I'm looking forward to being on again soon. I got some pretty big stories coming up for you. Absolutely. We'll have you back, sir. We'll have you back. Awesome. Thank, you. Thank you very much.
ladies and gentlemen, that was independent journalist Taylor Hansen. Uh, and uh, you got to help them out. Uh, we've got to keep getting this story out. Ashley Babbitt was an Air Force veteran, and she's been demonized, and Officer Sicknick did not die the way the narrative says they did. I'm Rob Manus, and I'll see you next week.